0: Good morning, church family. It's such a pleasure for me to be back with you. My wife and I were most recently visiting some family in British Columbia. We have a married daughter, uh, her husband, and three grandchildren in Kelowna. So it was great to be there. I was also involved in some disciple-making, coaching, and teaching in Vancouver with a group of leaders that gathered. And then my wife and I went to Cambodia to see a national worker there who's uh, actually a a specialist, a dental surgeon, one of the few trained within Cambodia, and a lecturer, professor, one of the universities. And tragically, her husband um, passed away. And so we went to sit with her, to comfort her, to be an encouragement to her, um, to see again, along with Sister Nep, the work that she is doing. Um, Not unlike what you were doing in Sri Lanka with uh, Pastor Ronald in terms of caring for underprivileged. So we were privileged to see a a gathering of students that have served with her as volunteers in rural dental work um, across uh, their nation. And one of the few individuals who has taken students with her to give them the experience of what it is to serve the underprivileged, but also to have opportunity just to develop skill. And the result of this is that people who are impoverished and could not afford dental care receive it over the years that she has taught. And so about 70 individuals who have volunteered with her gathered to honor her as their teacher. And we were privileged to be there, to be able to see how God is at work, even though individuals do not recognize all that motivates us as believers all that fuels us for us to be able to give as we've received to be generous in not just our spirit but to be generous with our resources and with our time and with what it is that we can do and the choices that we make but we live out our faith in a similar way to sister nep don't we we want god to so use us in our everyday life that people will both see in us the evidence that we're following Christ and will hear from us what it is that is our hope and how it is that they too could receive the grace we've received and join us as part of God's forever kingdom. In effect, that is what's going on in this chapter and I'm so pleased that I have this middle section, and I must confess, when I first read it, I thought, really, what, what is this about? Have you read the scripture that way, as, as someone who has read it lifelong, perhaps, and you open up and go, God, like, what is here in this passage for me? And yet, I, I want to assure you, as we begin, that this passage, verse 16 to 29, is really describing for us what are the fundamental marks of being a follower or a disciple of Jesus. What is it that God wants from us, and how is it that when we receive it, we demonstrate truly that we are following Jesus as he asks and wants? So that's the why. What is this for? And I'm hoping that as I lead you into this passage of Scripture to be thinking about it and applying it, you will see for yourself that this is what God wants from you. The applications are so wide, but the principle remains true for each one of us. So let me set the scene, not not only in the passage that was just read, but also let me set it just a a little earlier because it's important for context. In in verses 14 and 15, what has just happened earlier in the chapter is that Jesus has a a whole group of people that have gathered to hear him uh, around the area of Tiberias. They're hungry, And so he says to the disciples, you should feed them, and they're going, well, how how can we do that? Like, where would we find bread? There's no bakery here. And they're looking at each other, and they're not making excuses, but they're absolutely overwhelmed by what Jesus wants of them. And you know the story is written in other parts of the gospel, if you're familiar with the New Testament, and the stories of who Jesus is and what he's done, is that he has everybody sit down, and he does what most of us do when we receive a meal we give thanks. Maybe if there's a loaf, we cut it. Maybe in this context, they broke it open and divided it and shared it. And you know what happens is, Jesus starts breaking the bread and he fills a basket and he takes it out and he fills a basket and he takes it out and he keeps filling the baskets. What's he showing? What's he demonstrating? He's demonstrating that he's God. He makes something out of nothing or very little. He multiplies this powerfully, miraculously. And everybody has two experiences. One, they eat and they're full. And the second is their jaws are to their knees in wonder and amazement at what they've just experienced. They have participated in this. Now, that has an impact on you when you see who Jesus is and what he's done, and you have an experience with God, where you see his power, he demonstrates it. Then it says in this passage of scripture, when the people saw him do this miraculous sign, they exclaimed, surely he is the prophet we've been expecting. This is the one." Right? And then they veer off course right away. Because the next verse says this, when Jesus saw that they were ready to force him to be their king, he took a walk. He slipped away, it says. He, he, he went in another direction. He removed himself. He took a walk. And everybody went, but where did he go? This is the one! But they did not want him for who he was. They wanted him for what they desired from him. Now, if, have you experienced that in your life? Oh God, please give me this one thing, I won't ask you for anything else. Right? What are we saying? Be what I want you to be. Do what I want you to do. Be my what? Servant. Serve me. Now, truly, Jesus is the Son of God who came to serve, right? But that does not mean you have a blank check and you can fill it in for whatever you want. Here's the first point I want you to consider in this passage. We may see God for who he is, but want to use God for what we want. Human nature. That we take the glory of God and we make it small enough to keep us comfortable and happy. Right? No, I'm speaking to you, but I want you to know my heart is just like yours. I'm not speaking to you as if I'm different. I'm speaking with you as a fellow struggler who at times bends his knee and says, Oh God, please do this. Or, Oh God, please don't do that. Now, is it wrong for us to ask God to meet our needs? The answer is, of course not. Give us this day our daily bread. We're dependent on you. We need you. We're like that child that if you don't help us, we don't have anything. We need you. It's not wrong to ask for needs. But the fundamental difference is they were willing to make Jesus their king over them, but they did not see him as the Savior who wanted to be with them. Huge difference. Let's read forward and we'll see a little bit more on this passage. You, You see, when everyone loves you and everyone wants you to be their leader, to become the king, what's marvelous about Jesus is he said, I didn't come for that. I know who I am. I know my purpose. I know why God sent me. And he disappears into the hills. And as he goes into the hills... The disciples do a very sensible thing because the crowd is dispersing. They're going where they need to sleep, whether it's under a tree because they've come a bigger distance or they're back to a village to find a bed or to their home. Or We don't know the areas they come from, but it's a massive crowd. 5,000 men plus women and children. You can do the math and realize it's a big group of people. And they start to disperse. And what do the disciples do in the passage? Well, they do a sensible thing. They go down to the edge of the lake, and they wait. Until they get tired of waiting. Did you notice that? Because it starts to get dark, and Jesus hasn't come out of the hills wherever he is. He hasn't found his way to them, and they kind of look at each other and go, well, what's next? Now, I just want to put another pause in this, because this is so like us too, right? We'll wait until we're tired of waiting. We'll be patients until our patience wears a little thin. We'll ask ourselves the question, well, did I get it right? Should I be sitting here? Should I be waiting? Or should I be active? Should I be doing something? Should I find Jesus? Because Jesus has disappeared, so maybe we should send out a search party. Well, they decide the sensible thing for them to do is to get in a boat in the dark and row to the place they think maybe Jesus is walking to, which is, we would call, Capernaum. Probably in Hebrew it's Capernaum. But they're going to go to the place of Nahum. And that's what they do. Have you ever gone anywhere in the dark, not knowing where you're going on, maybe open water? How do you begin to feel in those moments? A little... uh, on edge, a little uncertain. I've, I've been at sea at night. I'm always grateful for a lighthouse. Probably no lighthouses on the shore. I'm grateful for at least the stars where you could map your way. I've been way out on the Pacific in a fish boat. I did that for a summer. And when it's dark, my goodness, it's black, especially if there's no moon. Now, we don't know the circumstances. I might be painting it a little more grim than it is, but it's just not really an easy walk in the park in high noon, right? It's going to be a little challenging, even for seasoned fishermen. And then what happens? A storm. The only thing worse than a storm in the daytime is a storm at night. Because you can't see. You're trying, you're, you're feeling the wind, you're pointing the, the bow in the right direction, you're straining on the oars, and it says when they were about halfway between Tiberias and Capernaum, or Capernaum they were straining on the oars, they were, they were doing what they were supposed to do, they were in the middle of a high wind storm, a squall, they didn't know what the outcome would be. I don't know about you, but at that moment, even describing it, I start to feel my anxiety come up, right? This is, a, this is an uh, not an easy place to be, even for seasoned fishermen, because not every fisherman sounds strange, but not every fisherman swims. You really don't want to be bobbing like an apple in a barrel, but that's their fear, capsized, sinking, lives lost. It's a real storm. And they look up. And they see Jesus walking on the water towards them. Now, in that moment, you've never seen Jesus do this before, remember? You've seen him feed 5,000 people. You've seen how great and glorious and good he is. But suddenly, when they see this figure on the water walking towards them, even though they know it's Jesus, what is likely going through their mind, do you think? A ghost! Right? Because it's dark, remember, this is is why we tell stories around the campfire at night, because they get even more creepy, right? And so if you see someone you don't expect to see walking on the water towards you in the dark, your mind is not really geared for being rational. At that moment, you are fear-driven emotional, and you look at that and go, yikes, I don't know what it is even though it has the form and figure of Jesus. What's my point? The point is that in our faith experience with Christ, He is going to lead us into the storms of life. That's the first thing we need to understand. Why? Why will Jesus intentionally lead you into a position where you have no experience, no knowledge, no certainty, no clarity, why will he take you there? To teach you to depend on him and to trust him because you cannot learn that lesson in the sun on the shore. I don't know about you but I don't like that very much I would rather that lesson wasn't in here I would rather know that God is going to direct me and I can hold his hand and he will put his arm around my shoulder and I will walk in confidence I'm not so excited about being on a boat in a storm at midnight and having to trust him to lead me forward Are, are you there too I'd like to say, no, maybe I'll just know about this lesson. I would rather not experience this lesson. Why will you experience it? Because here's the truth about faith. It must be practiced. It must be strengthened. And it only happens in the reality of life. So you can cry out to God, oh God, no, 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 I don't want this. And he will say to you, trust me. And he'll lead you on. See, what Jesus is teaching the disciples at this point is not only is he the God that will meet their needs, He is the God who will take them where they have no idea they need to go, to teach them what they have no idea that they need to learn, so that their faith will grow, and they'll understand who God really is. So here's what I'm telling you about the New Testament as gospel followers. It is one thing for us on a Sunday morning in this place to say to Jesus, I trust you. And then on Tuesday in an unexpected storm that comes up from nowhere to be able to say, oh God, I have no idea what you're doing. I trust you still. Now you might not get there on tuesday it might take you till friday to get there or maybe the next week tuesday you understand what i'm saying is is i'm not going to be impatient with you and sometimes we're impatient with ourselves about how fast our faith needs to grow but i am saying god is going to go with you into that experience because listen the crowds wanted him to be their king to look after them good politics a chicken in every pot a contented life And Jesus says, no, 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 I'm going to be with you in your life. I will not exempt you from storms. I will go with you through the storms, and you will learn to know me in ways that you will otherwise never know. Right? Now, isn't that a good lesson? I'm so grateful I got this passage of Scripture to bless my own soul and then to share that with you. And then another miracle happens. At least I'm going to call it a miracle. Because all John says is that that very moment Jesus gets in the boat, I think everybody goes, they sigh. It's okay. Jesus is with us. He hasn't forgotten it. As a matter of fact, I didn't know how we would get here because I can only think about God in terms I've already understood and known, and suddenly Jesus is walking on the water. What is the point? There is no place you will be that God will not come to be with you. Right? Not over you as king, with you as savior, leader, friend, father. Right? With you. And then they're at the shore. Do you think they were stunned at that moment? Well, probably they're just overwhelmed because think about all they've been through. They've seen Jesus feed 5,000 and Jesus has disappeared. And now Jesus walks on the water when they're in the middle of this storm. They don't know if they're going to survive and suddenly they at the shore. I think they were processing so many different things. The thing they said is, I need to go lay down. I need to sleep for a moment, I, I, I need some rest here. I, my brain is exploding with all that I'm experiencing with Jesus right now." So they have a rest and then the story picks up because it says the next day, the group that had been with him and wanted to make him the king came down to the shore expecting to find Jesus. Jesus wasn't there, the disciples went there and they go, huh, only one boat is there but Jesus wasn't there. So. They get, they get in the boats and they go over to Capernaum, you know, it's a three, six-mile row. So, you know, they arrive there, Jesus is on the shore, they look at him and go, how did you get here? And he goes, actually, you're not here because you care about how I got here, you're here because you're ready for breakfast. That's what he says, in essence. You've only come because you saw me multiply the loaves and you're going, do it again. Right? Yeah, how like us when we've had God meet our needs that we develop our own theology in our brain that says if God looked after me here this way, he's going to do that every time I ask, right? Because really what we want is a God who keeps us comfortable rather than a God who leads us into his truth. We would like to have $3 worth of God in a paper sack that meets our needs and keeps us comfortable rather than the God of heaven who will lead us where he wants us to go as a father with his eye upon us who directs our steps. Now listen, when I talk to you like this so frankly and confront you with this truth, understand it's because I'm facing it in the same mirror as you. I don't want that to be true in my life. I'm just telling you, in my weakness, I'm, I do the same things. What's the solution? Listen to Jesus. Because what does he say in this passage of Scripture? And I've just given our... Uh, I realize that what I've done is I've ignored my, my uh, notes, and, and our texts are so gracious. They're going to follow me and get on the... the, the, the The next slide that I want, which is that the mark of being a disciple flows from a single source. It's faith in Jesus. Not in a decision to see Jesus as great and glorious and king. It's true. He is. That's not the faith Jesus wants you to have. What I'm telling you is, not only does he want you to see what is obvious, what he wants you to do is to have a faith that is willing to trust him in every experience of your life, and to seek him and his will and favor as you follow him. So he says to the crowd, not only do you need to see me as you want me to be king and prophet and glorious leader, you need to see me as I am. Who is he? Well, in this passage of scripture, he says, look, I'm, I'm not your goodie factory. If you want me to be your God who simply gives you what you want, that's the Baal's. That, that's the false gods that, that will comfort you when you pray and ask for only what things you want. But he says in this passage of Scripture when, when he's, he, he's challenging them, and we're already down in verse 26, look, I tell you the truth, you're looking for me, you've got your eye out for me, right? But not because you saw the miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. What is he saying? You ate and you missed it. You ate the food and didn't understand who I am. You don't understand what it is I want to accomplish. You simply took what was on the surface and didn't understand that I have come to be a greater servant. I've come to be your sacrifice. They miss it. Why do they miss it? Because actually they're not listening to him. What they're wanting is what they want, not what it is Jesus is telling them. That's so like us is that we can miss the deeper lesson because we want to be just satisfied, just looked after. So then he says, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Now there's some logic and reason that goes in. It's a bit tight, but what they seize on is the work part. Because what Jesus does is he commends them, look, you got in the boat and you rowed. That was work. You sweat a little bit, you know, maybe the breeze wasn't as cooling. And you got here by your effort. But your effort brought you only because you want to eat. Your effort didn't bring you to see me for who I am and what I can offer you. Because you need to understand that God has put his approval on me for the work and purpose that he has set in front of me. In other words, I am the son he loves. Why? Because I'm willing to lay down my life to accomplish the Father's purpose, which is to give you salvation and bring you into his family. That's that's what Jesus is going to do. Because he actually says, you need to work for this. What? Make the effort to understand who I am, but you need to understand you can't earn this, only I can give it to you. Now, I don't know about you, but that's kind of humiliating as well. Because we can't bargain with God. We can't stand up and say, God, I promise from this point on, I'm going to do everything you want. Will you now do for me what I want? And the answer is no. Doesn't work like that. Faith isn't about believing yourself to prosperity. It's about willing to humble yourself and follow Him. Gratefully, this is not a church that preaches prosperity gospel. Why do I say that? Because it's not the true gospel. The true gospel is not trust God and He'll fill your bank account. The truth of the gospel is trust God and he will save you. He will give you eternal life. He will lead you into his kingdom. He will share himself with you. Many people want something from God, but what God wants is to give himself completely to you. He wants you to know him. He wants you to love him. He wants you to walk with him. He wants you to experience who he is in fullness in the storms of life as well as the sunshine of day. And he says to the crowd, you don't understand. And and they, they launch on this works because then they, verse 28, they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? In other words, give me the key Because if I do what you want me to do, I'll get what it is I want. Do you see how they're thinking? Now, I want you to understand, as Christians, we can fall into this all the time. Because why? We're we're people of the world. We live in our culture. We live in our time. We live in our day. And Jesus says, look, you want to know the work. Here's the work. And it's in verse 29 where we're going to conclude Verse 29 says, Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So when you believe in Jesus, there is some truth you need to know. There is this sense of Intellect that must be engaged you need to know and believe that jesus is the son of god sent into the world by the father To live a perfect life To lay down his life as a sacrifice That is a substitution for the punishment you deserve so that in its place. God can give you mercy and grace and forgiveness acceptance adoption love value purpose But understand, it's not a transaction that God wants you to make so that you will get what you want. It is a transaction so that God can bring you into his family and you can experience what is otherwise elusive in life. What am I talking about? Attachment. You see, when you understand that God is giving himself for you, you realize it's not just mental agreement he's asking you to make. It is emotional connection he wants you to have. Because, yes, is love in action? Of course. Is it a demonstration? Precisely. But it is to achieve an outcome that is deeper than that. It is Relational it's personal, it's transformative. Because when you receive the love of God, your identity changes. You move from being a person who would like more out of life to a person who suddenly realizes, I've been looking for life in a wrong way. What I found now in Jesus is acceptance and purpose, and meaning, and value. I know what it is to have no place, and now I have a place. I know what it is to be in darkness, and now be in the light. I know what it is to struggle, and now to be at peace. I know what it is to try with effort to make God love me, and suddenly discover I need to give up trying and just receive what he's done. And it transforms you. Because you know what you know That you know. You know Jesus. You know He loves you. And that's why, by extension, there are these marvelous verses throughout the scripture that apply this and take it to places that we might otherwise um, never gain. There is this passage in Romans chapter 8 where Paul says, first of all, he's saying, if He didn't spare His own Son, But he freely gave him up for all of us. How will he not also with him give you everything? Right? But then he goes on and he says, Now, what does that mean? And he says, Well, I'm convinced of this, that nothing can ever separate me from the love of God. Now, Now think about this. When these disciples were in the boat in the storm, Did they feel connected or separated? Yeah, probably separated. Why? Jesus wasn't with them physically. They're in peril. God, where are you? Right? That's probably the experience that was going on. But in that experience, what did they discover? God had his eye upon them. Never for a moment did he look away from them. He walked on water towards them. He was in the boat with them. They were at the shore. He has them covered. Now, does that mean, don't worry, you'll never have a peril? Of course not. It is really a way of demonstrating to the disciples then and to us as we read the narrative that there is nothing that will separate us from the love of God, nothing. Nudge the person beside you and say, nothing. Do you know why I'm saying that? Because it's one thing to read it on a page, it's another thing in life to experience it when you have every reason to believe you're losing it all. And Jesus says, I won't lose you. Right? And to lean in and find your contentment is fueled, not because your life has been made easier, but because you have discovered the reality of God's presence despite the turmoil of your circumstance. Amen. You see, church, we need more than a God who is king that feeds us, we need the salvation He alone can bring. That's the faith He wants us to not only possess, but develop. Father God, thank you for this passage of Scripture. It is full of so much that we need, so much that we can value, so much we can lean into, and so much that we must confess we are now aspiring to grow to. Would you please take us from where we are as you have this group of your disciples and lead us in life to where we need to be. Help us in the context of difficulty, challenge, fear, feeling overwhelmed, to seek and find you and to know your faithfulness and to receive from you the hope that you alone have given. Bless each one of us, you know our circumstances. Bless us as a church as we seek to follow after you, and to make you known everywhere around us. We ask this for your glory, the extension of your kingdom, and we pray it for our good. In the name of Jesus, amen.